Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod. Use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Is the bottom in for U.S. equities or will sky-high energy prices be a spoiler? Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Daily Briefing. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Katie Stockton of Fair Lead Strategies and Real Vision's global editor, Weston Nakamura. Great to see you both. We're going we're gonna to get Katie's thoughts on the direction for the S&P in just a bit. But Weston, I want to come to you first because we've been, we've been seeing this all over Twitter and there's been a, a, you know, a lot of traction and concern about this. What is going on with these rolling blackouts that we're seeing in China? Yeah, so I'm um, glad you got right to, to, the, you know, to the chase there. So first, let me just kind of give a, you know, a, a background. This is not just China. This is happening globally. Um, where, wherever you are from where you know, you're watching this, I'm sure that you have currently um, heat waves and, you know, extremely extended periods of very hot, dry weather and all that. And that is pushing up energy prices, gas prices. Um, you're probably blasting your AC um, and that's happening everywhere. Right. So this is Bloomberg just today was reporting on uh, 20 million, you know, one in six American homes are behind on their energy bills. Right. So that's hitting the U.S. Um, obviously. And, and by the way, we've seen Gary. Thank you on Twitter asking, well, hey, what about Germany? Absolutely, Weston. It's everywhere. Oh. And we were talking in our editorial meeting that we're seeing incredible pictures of that. Right. Whether you're seeing 600 year Buddha statues coming out of dried up rivers in China or right. Nazi warships surfacing in Germany. We've dinosaur prints in Texas. I mean, it does feel a little like end of the world type stuff, but it is extreme yeah. in so many different places at the same it, time. It's exactly right. So, I mean, yeah, everyone's probably going to say like, what, what about insert my region, right? So the Rhine, exactly what, you know, as you mentioned, that's which basically runs, it's not just Germany, it's like Switzerland to North Sea. It's, you know, a very key waterway for, for a lot of, um, you know, goods to, to move. Um, and that, you know, it's basically the river basically getting depleted. Um, it was actually, I think over the weekend, it started to stabilize a little bit, but still very, you know, precarious situation. Japan um, is now resorting to uh, a potential restarting of nuclear energy, which was a huge no-no after the, you know, Fukushima disaster and all that. And this is under Prime Minister Kishida, who comes from Hiroshima, atomic bomb Hiroshima and so there he's very sensitive to uh nuclear but you know it's he, he's he's essentially going to be pushing for this so that's that's kind of where we are and yeah. so amidst the backdrop of all that 
what's happening in China right now is that we, you know, you, you have, again, the same problem. You have a record amount of like extended, very hot conditions. But what the, what's happening is that that's leading to uh, not just, you know, huge energy demand, but it's leading to the same kind of sort of problems. You're getting like a lot of, you know, uh, water sources to, to dry and uh, dams to dry. And so you're you're really just having this this huge, massive power um, crunch that's going on. Um, and that's leading to this is not like a potential thing that's going to happen. That's currently happening right now. It's leading to uh, factories to shut down, you know, and that that affects. Um, automobile manufacturing and you know the solar sector and all that. So this is not like um, like Germany, you know, is going to sometimes if this if they if this is a very cold winter, they're going to have to decide between you know shutting down factory production and this is a, that is happening currently in China. And the reason I really want to flag this is because what I'm assuming is that everybody who's watching this, like I said in the beginning, you're probably dealing with that you know this very issue going on in wherever you are geographically, and so that's going to be your front page. And so you're not going to probably see this about what's happening in China right now. But this is yet another thing that's happening in China. This is in addition to I'm not, like, I'm not even getting into like COVID lockdowns or people not paying their you know bo boycotting mortgages um, or the PBOC that's trying to um, you know cut policy rates, but they're not really being effective with with it and, and so on and so forth and all these other sort of uh, factors that are happening. So I just really want to flag that that this is something that's already. Uh, happening in place, and that's going to be uh, showing up in macro data, um, at, you know, coming forward. A absolutely, and this is why I wanted to to dive in on China, and and I'm happy that you're flagging it for us because, w first of all, we know what happens with the supply chains. We we've seen we've seen this before. Uh, when when China has to go into lockdown, you're you're talking about huge cities. I mean, the idea of looking at Shanghai dark, and as you said, some of the other industrial hubs going dark, but it is also coming at a super sensitive time because they are dealing with, uh, you know, a week. People are guessing much weaker, and we're heading into the People's Party Congress. I mean, this is a this is a, the worst time in many in many parts of the world. The worst time for this to be happening, but in China, it's a it's a very politically sensitive time too, isn't it? Yeah, and and so therefore, given the structure of you know China's you know I mean society as a whole, political a, a politically sensitive time means that it's an economically sensitive time, it's a socially um, sensitive time, it's a military sensitive time, and all of that too, right? So um, there was something that also wanted to flag too, um, and this is sort of a I guess a kind of non consensus thought, but so Nancy Pelosi, Taiwan, all that that's last week's news, right? Who cares, right? Well, there's a view, uh, albeit like probably not as, um, you know, not, not consensus, but something to consider is that what this Nancy Pelosi visit essentially might have triggered is that because there's so much, you know, like uh, a whole laundry list of disruptions that are happening in China socially and all that, um, and, and Xi Jinping really needs stability more than anything. And right now there's just this whole confluence of stuff that's happening. What um, the Pelosi visit did was that it may have actually given him this sort of, you know, one area of strength where mm -hmm. he he can he can kind of cash in on that. And so he might actually it's possible that he might actually call the party Congress earlier than people expect. People are expecting October, November is when it's going to happen. But if he's trying to lock in gains now, because the longer the time passes, the, I mean, th things are going to just get worse and worse economically and all that. So if he's trying to lock in his gains, he could pull that forward into as early as September. We're days away from September. And so 
the party Congress, like, well, let's put aside the debate of what may or may not come from that. Um, if they if he flips on, you know, uh, the, the zero COVID policy and all that and the implication, let's, let's just put like that aside for a second. And let's just look at the time frame in and of itself, mm-hmm. that time frame, if that's shifted forward to September, that matters. And that's something that people are not braced for. Like, I don't think people are braced really for the party Congress as it is, but they're certainly not braced for, the, for you know, um, for it to be, you know, shifted earlier. And the reason that yeah. matters yeah. to markets is because, uh, so Brian, if you pull up uh, chart uh, two, um, so this is just an example, right? I just pulled up, I just looked up on CME. This is open interest on crude oil, on WTI crude. Uh, going into you know the rest of this year, and if you take a look at this, this is just positioning, right? Um, for December contracts, which expire in mid-November, there is a massive, massive open interest in call options. There's about 1.4 million call options to about 600,000 put options um, for that November expiry. Now, that could be for any number of reasons, but I suspect that there's a good chunk of that, that huge open interest, that may very well be positioned for crude oil upside due to, uh, you know, party Congress happening and then therefore Xi Jinping um, basically ditching this uh, zero COVID policy that is becoming increasingly indefensible and all that. And then, Brian, if you go to uh, the following uh, table, um, three, I believe, this is just the uh, options sort of open interest matrix. Um, and it's kind of hard to look at, but if you look at that like red box, right? So that's for December expiry. So these are contracts that are going to expe- uh, expire in uh, in November, mid-November, right? And so if you look at that, this these are like strike prices that are below current. And you'll see that there's, you know, like in the mid-teens or so of open interest in certain strike levels, um, you know, in the like, be, be it from call it 50 uh, all the way to, from 100 all the way down to 50 and it's like, you know, 11,000, 12,000 contracts, whatever it is, right? Then if you go to the next one, though, um, the next chart, Brian, uh, this is just a snapshot I took of um, and I kind of just like s- sliced in. Uh, a bunch of uh, pieces of this because it's not going to really fit on this uh, on the screen. But what you're looking at are massive, massive options open interest at like ridiculous strike prices. So we're looking at basically, I'm just kind of eyeball skimming this about a $250 billion notional outstanding in calls for the above a 100 strike for expiry in mid-November on WTI crude. You're looking at 40,000 contracts at 150 crude. There's 20,000 open interest at $200 a strike. uh, Another 20,000 at 250 strike. You know, uh, I mean, there there are huge, huge positions that are opened. Um, And at that level, that's not really hedging either. Um, that's kind of speculation, but what matters is uh, once again is the expiry, is the timing of that, and if that is, um, if those are positions that are established f- with the expectation of a October or November um, party congress, and the party congress suddenly gets pulled forward to September because Xi Jinping decides to, you know, to pull forward to, to lock in his gains. I mean, we're looking at, like I said, just in those uh, strikes alone that are out of the money. It's a quarter trillion notional worth of crude um, that is not necessarily mispriced, but it's mispositioned in terms of expiry. Um, and so that's just one random like sort of, you know, market uh, positioning that will need to shift suddenly 
um, and create a, a ton of immediate term volatility uh, should that headline exist. So I just want to throw that out there. It might not happen, but if it does happen, I don't want people to be completely thrown off guard and just to consider that as you know a potential tail risk. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. So, Wes, and this is what we count on you for is to be kind of paying close attention to the parts of the market that people aren't watching. And if you are at all playing in crude, then you need to pay attention to that. And even if you're not, you need to know that there, you know, uh, something like that can come in, um, hit people unexpectedly, and then you've got a lot of volatility, and then you have people who have to make up for the fact that they were mispositioned. So that kind of volatility can spill into other markets. So if you're listening and you think, well, I, I'm not in options and I'm not in crude, this won't affect me, that's not true. That's This is why Weston's pointing this out. Um, one more thing I want to ask you about then is the yuan before we before we skate here. So you, you put a tweet out that made us laugh. It was experts are sure the RMB won't have a meltdown. And you were like, thank you very much, Chinese state media, for making us all feel much better. But we did see the yuan hit a 23-month low Monday. Are you watching that at all? I think you, you, you've you been watching it in terms of it, it, the correlation with other with other assets, right? Right. Yeah. So I went over this um, with uh, Andreas and Marty. The, uh, the reason I want to re- reiterate this is because um, I thought I was pretty clear, but I'm just going to be as absolutely clear as possible. So Brian, can you bring up the first chart, please? The reason that you should care about the yuan, the equity investor in the United States, um, whoever it may be. The Chinese um, currency. But yeah, uh, of USDCNY, um, which I've inverted on this chart. So therefore, if you if that red line going down is the yuan going down and vice versa. The the top in the recent top in this, like, if you want to call it a bear market rally or whatever it is, that was marked by the yuan uh, that had pierced through the 6.8 level uh, and gone higher. Um, and I just want to show very clearly that top chart right there, that's E-minis, that's S&P 500 index uh, futures and the Chinese yuan and US dollar cross rate. And they are very much moving in lockstep. Now, they don't always move in lockstep. And that so the, 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 ch- the bottom chart is showing that sometimes it does, sometimes it does not. When it does make very sharp moves to the downside, as you can see with in between those two lines, that's April 20th to March uh, to May 15th, um, you can see that that does drag down risk assets, including very much so, including um, E-minis. And then for a period, they were not correlated. And currently, they are re-correlated back down to, to the downside. And again, this is a managed currency. This is China allowing this to happen. And apparently they're allowing this to happen under these conditions of, like I mentioned, these sort of these droughts and um, zero COVID policy, um, you know, mortgage boycotts, all all of that stuff. Right. So if it's going to be a continued yuan weakness and they're allowing it to get to somewhere like, you know, uh, seven handle even on USDCNY, then that's going to be sharp. You know, and if it continues to uh, correlate with SPX E-minis, with Bitcoin, with the Nikkei, with the DAX, whatever, 
it's going to pull down risk assets from where they had just been, you know, sort of rallying to. So this is why I'm flagging this. I'm not flagging this for the fact that people are exposed to the yuan or anything like that. I'm flagging it because apparently markets are currently watching China and are trading off of that. The yuan in and of itself is not moving SPX or anything like that. That is just a reflection, again, of what is happening with China and with with their managed currency. And so risk assets are moving in tandem with what's going on in China. That's why I'm flagging it. We got we got a lot of good stuff to pay attention to. Um, and, you know, as always, a lot of this is not on our radar, as you said, because it's our, so full up with what's going on and everything we have to watch on this side, Weston. So totally appreciate you. Thank you so much. And Weston, of course, is going to be we're all going to be watching. He's going to be all over all everything that's happening in Jackson Hole, too. So we'll be, we'll be looking forward to your tweets on that. And Weston, if you could, anybody interested in those charts, Weston probably can tweet them out um, so you can get a closer look at them. Thank you, Weston. Thanks so much. All right, Katie, let's let's pick up this conversation um, and bring you in now and dive into some of the uh, the charts that you're looking at. In particular, it would be great to see what you think of um, the S&P, because this is what a lot of the people, especially sort of those who are in the equity market, a lot of people stateside um, are looking at. You know, we had this what looked like a comeback. Everyone's wondering about this rally in equities. What it you know, was it a bear market? Is it going to turn? Is the bottom in? So. As you look at at the technicals you follow, what does it look like for the S and P? Have we has this rally run out of steam? Is there some you know risk to the downside here? I think yes and yes. Um, it certainly has run out of steam in terms of short term upside momentum, and we were viewing it all along as a counter trend move within the context of the long term downtrend that was established earlier this year. The daily chart of the S and P five hundred that you see on your screen shows that loss of momentum. So if you look, there is a daily MACD indicator. It's a short-term momentum gauge, very popular amongst technicians. It has flipped to a sell signal and amazingly occurred right after resistance was discovered at the 200-day moving average. So if you look at the purple line, that's the 200-day. Notice, of course, that it is pointing lower in a reflection of that long-term downtrend. So we think there is, of course, some risk to the downside with the downtrend still having hold technically. Even if we were to see the S&P 500 sort of inch above that 200-day moving average, it wouldn't change things for us. We say Mm -hmm. that because the long-term setup really still is very challenged. If you look at the longer-term indicators, this is a monthly bar chart of the S&P 500. You'll see in the bottom window that momentum is still very much to the downside long-term. And the first oversold reading that we have here as of June usually isn't the last oversold reading for the end of a bear market cycle. If you go back to 2008 to 2009 or 2000 to 2002, those periods saw retests after retests of that oversold territory. So it really is a a process that we're looking for in order for the market to establish a bottom. I think the hope that there is some kind of V bottom already in place is really just that hope because that's what we became accustomed to during corrective phases. But indeed, we think that this is something more than that. So so are we, does it look likely that we do retest the lows for the S&P? You know, the support we're watching is actually derived from a Fibonacci retracement level. There, there's interim support around the 50-day moving average. 
But if you can see this line here, it's about 38.15, and it's a Fibonacci retracement derived from the uptrend drawn from the COVID corrective low, which is in hindsight a very important low for the market. Now, if that level is broken, then we feel that there is really significant downside risk being to about 3,200, which is a secondary Fibonacci retracement level. So we, we would not rule that out as part of this scenario, uh, but 38.15 is the key support in our work, and we do expect it to ultimately be retested. And then it's just a matter of acknowledging time horizons and trying to manage risk over various time horizons. If we drill into some of our short-term work, we're seeing not for the S&P 500, but some of the higher growth areas of the market short-term oversold conditions have returned. And that could get us a little bit of a bounce in the coming days. Maybe it's something in the Fed comments that, that folks receive well. Mm -hmm. uh, but that to us would be a selling opportunity for the reasons um, you know laid out here on the longer-term view as, of the S&P 500. We want to use these relief rallies, which we see as bear market relief rallies, as opportunities to reduce exposure to avoid that next downdraft. That's so interesting. And, you know, I, I should point out uh, for those who are listening, if you, you know, some of the terms seem unfamiliar that Katie's talking uh, talking about or talking around that are often used in technical analysis. There's an entire segment on the academy where you can kind of dive into that. But especially at times right now where there's a lot of disagreement, where people, you know, have really wide opinions on the spectrum of what might happen. You've got some active managers sort of out of the market right now on the sidelines as they A, wait and see what happens and B, some of them are just off because it's August trying to, you know, um, recoup before we head into what is going to be a really busy fall. These are the times when tech people really rely on technicals and they like to sort of check their narrative against what they're seeing on the technical front. That's what Katie does for them. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of important to pay attention to this part of the market too, and it's um, important sometimes to, to stop and sort of from the fundamental conversation take a look and see if it's matching up on the technical side. So interesting to hear what you say about risk assets based on the, just rolling off of of um, Weston, who was looking at things like the yuan that have been correlated in the past, um, weighing on it. Energy, as we said at the very top, this is the other concern: all, are all these energy sort of you know crises coming together? Um, at the same time, going to be really problematic for the economy and put pressure on risk assets. That's a fundamental side of the conversation on stocks. But on the energy side, Katie, so what are you looking at there? You know, if we if we have or if we're seeing this sort of upward momentum and pressure potential for another leg up, do you see that reflected in the technicals for, say, oil for WTI? We do. And, you know, the, in our search for long term uptrends in a bear market cycle, sometimes it's somewhat fruitless. And yet we can find those long term uptrends in the energy sector. And of course, that's really a derivation of commodity prices. Crude oil has been in a corrective phase up until very recently. In fact, this week, we saw a bit of an improvement in short-term momentum there, uh, but also natural gas prices are trending very strongly higher. And those trends, we want to assume they will keep hold. Uh, we have, I'll show you on the crude oil chart, this is a generic future here. And forgive me for getting technical, but it's hard not to as a technical analyst. Yeah, no, that's what we want <laughs> from you in this conversation. With, with the corrective phase, we have what we call an oversold upturn or buy signal in our indicators, and it's really twofold. 
threshold. So based on two of our different indicators and it's occurring near some support. If you just look at the shaded area, this is called the cloud model. It's a support level that applies very well to commodities typically. So we're looking for the relief rally here for crude oil to persist. With that, we're looking for more momentum behind that energy sector, of course, and, and relative strength there too. So it is one place to find long-term uptrends. There are actually some indications on the monthly chart of crude oil that the uptrend may tire out a little bit for maybe something close to nine months. It's based on something called the DeMarc indicators, but it's a bit premature, we think, to position for that. Rather, what it suggests is that it might be difficult for the, the highs from this springtime to be surmounted. So maybe a lower high will be established and something different unfolds. But as it stands, it looks higher and the long-term options very much intact there. Yeah. And this relates back to a lot of what we're talking about in terms of, you know, how do you fund the, or how do you support the transition? Even if you're in a, a green energy transit transition, you know, the realization that fossil fuels may play a role in that we're talking about if they pull up the people's party Congress and uh, China does get rid of its zero COVID policy after that, which is some of the speculation. Do you see that economy open up and does that put pressure on oil? So these are the, those are some of the fundamental issues um, lack of investment that a lot of the analysts that come on are talking about. And on the screen, you're seeing, you know, Katie's technicals also sort of reflecting some of that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but that those are the kind of lining up several different, um, you know, narratives that come together, both fundamental and technical are what a lot of people are trying to sort of search for right now. So Katie, if that's the case for oil, does that mean energy, the energy equities outperform the rest of the equities? Because we've kind of established that we might be in this downtrend, maybe headed to retest the lows or near them for the S&P, but then is energy the outperformer in that? Well, it certainly has been. In fact, I'll show you a ratio of XLE or the energy spider here to the S&P 500. You see an uptrend this year that's really been pronounced, a, a corrective phase certainly, but uh, you know it seems to be advancing from that correction. So we're assuming that this uptrend will maintain itself, obviously, until we start to see any of those longer term signs of exhaustion manifest themselves in, in our momentum gauges. And we want to just stay with what's working in this environment. Really, the only two long term uptrends left out there are in the energy sector and in the utility sector as it pertains to U.S. equities. So as you know, we launched an ETF not too long ago, the ticker is TACK, and it has exposure to only the energy and utility sectors in addition to risk off asset classes, short-term treasuries, long-term treasuries, and gold. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sort of more bearish positioning is something that we're comfortable with, just noting that that long-term momentum is still to the downside and just looking for anything that has that relative strength behind it, and which, as you, you know, suggest, is really behind energy and then perhaps to a lesser degree, the defensive sectors of the market. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. 
I want to take a, a look at the U.S. dollar. Uh, this has been a huge topic of a conversation. We, you know, we saw a little even, sort of flattening or taking a break, but it's just been relentless. And some of the moves have been huge. Ash Bennington spoke with Michael Howell recently about his views on the U.S. dollar. Let's take a listen to a clip from that. Dollar, I think is. I think there's there's two ways to look at the dollar. One is 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 the use of the dollar, and secondly is the level of the dollar. Is the dollar going to be eclipsed by a Chinese yuan, international yuan? Uh, no way. Not it. Not certainly in the in the short to medium term. In the long term, it's anyone's guess. But I think the dollar is absolutely dominant right now, and I think the dollar gets stronger. I think it gets stronger because we've seen uh, that currencies like the yen or the euro are actually underlying flaky. Uh, I think the euro has got to devalue a lot more than it has already. Uh, and if you look at the companion move in the yen, uh, and the the euro is clearly an alternative to the yen in international markets in terms of trade, uh, you're really looking at another 10 to 15% down, I think, in the euro. So I think that, that they're going to struggle, particularly with the huge debt problems they've got in the eurozone. So I think that from that perspective, what you've got is dollar dominance in, in terms of uh, in terms of use. I think in terms of price, I would expect the dollar after this big rally to have something of a sideways move. But I still think the dollar has got the scope in the medium term to move upwards, really, because, you know, where else does one go in the world for safe assets? Uh, the US has almost got the monopoly on those right now. And that full interview is available on our website. So hard for Michael to see the dollar backing down anytime soon, Katie. What's your what are you seeing on the charts? It's another one of those long-term uptrends, right? And it does still have long-term upside momentum that shows no signs of relenting as of yet. This is a weekly bar chart that we have on the screen. You can even just see in the curvature of the moving averages here, still pointing higher, still diverging. Um, and with another little momentum upturn in the bottom window there, that, that is supportive of upside follow through. We've been watching a sort of a minor long-term resistance level for the dollar index just above 109. And we're basically back at it and re retesting that level. It's based on another long-term Fibonacci retracement level. But if you drill out or zoom out, I guess I should say, if you zoom out, you can see on the dollar index chart that there was a major, major sort of um, range breakout that preceded um, even this extension higher. And this major range breakout does target 121 for the dollar index over the very long term. So it's really a you know something that we would see any consolidation as probably a pause to refresh this uptrend. 121 seems aggressive to us, but it's really where the next resistance level that seems to hold long-term relevance uh, would be uh, based on this breakout. And Katie, what about bonds? We have a question uh, from Brett on Twitter. Could the 10-year yield be at 4% soon? That seems pretty high based on a lot of the forecasts out there and would seem to indicate from a fund fundamental point of view a lot more Fed tightening or aggressiveness than right now seems to be factored in. But what are you seeing? What's possible based on what you're seeing? Yeah, you know, I, I certainly would expect 4% to become uh, realistic for next year, perhaps not before year end, though. And um, it seems it seems high. I, and I think just because it has a four handle, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, we've seen what 10 year yields are capable of. You can see this uptrend very, very steep with a consolidation phase underway. Uh, if we see the three and a quarter level, which is highlighted here as resistance around the 2018 high, if that level's 
broken. And for that, we would usually look for a couple of good weekly closes above it. The next resistance is indeed 4%. So that 4% hurdle, it's a round number. It's a previous resistance level and it would be a natural sort of place for tenure yields to gravitate if we do see a breakout. So I think it is realistic, more likely for next year sometime. And in the interim, we're looking for more backing and filling. So up and down, up and down until this consolidation phase matures, allowing the longer term uptrend to resume. Fantastic. And let's squeeze one quickie in on gold. You mentioned it was part of the ETF. It's been really frustrating for people. A lot of questions still trickle in. Should this be something that's part of my portfolio? But, you know, it's been hard because it just hasn't performed in the way people thought it might. What's it look like from a technical perspective? Yeah, regarding gold prices, I mean, they have seen sort of a negative momentum considering they're a safe haven asset class. And um, and yet at the same time, overall year to date, we have seen gold manage to outperform the S&P 500. You can see that in this ratio. If you look at the curvature of the yellow line, that's the 200-day moving average. We are looking for gold to outperform in a weaker equity market. So we're looking for outperformance, and yet the momentum really just isn't there to the upside as of yet. Uh, Gold is in a long-term trading range, and within that range, there's very, very strong support of roughly about $16.75 per ounce. So we're looking for this so-called retest as the dollar first challenges resistance uh, to actually lead to some stabilization and ultimately another up move for gold within its longer term trading range. Uh, But indeed, the momentum has been a big challenge there. Fantastic. Katie, such great signposts for people to really be paying attention to in some of the levels as we enter what is sure to be a really, really volatile, we hope not challenging, but certainly action-packed fall. So thank you so much. Great to catch up with you. You too, Maggie. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks for the great questions. Andreas Stenelarsson is going to be here tomorrow with Tony Greer. uh, So be sure to join us once again for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.